Well, please do be seated and let's look at uh, Romans chapter 10, where the general subject changes this morning to the necessity of the preached word, the necessity of the preacher and the preached word. It's a great passage we're going to be looking at here. Uh, Romans 10 and verse 13 is more or less uh, the thought that we had finished on the last time we were here. I'm going to read uh, through verse 21, which is the end of the chapter. We won't cover the whole thing in depth, but we will most of it. So he says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And really the focus of our thought is going to ultimately be here from verse 14 forward. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verses 16 and 17 go together. Kind of make some note for yourself to figure out how how those things fit in your mind so that you can follow his reasoning there. He goes on in verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? And that's kind of following verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth. The sound of the gospel. The sound of these preachers. And their words to the ends of the world. It's a really important truth stated there for you to understand in terms of who knows the gospel. Who has heard the gospel. How far has the gospel gone? We cover this from time to time. Their words have gone to the ends of the world at the end of verse 18. Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. In other words, Moses spoke. Moses spoke so many, 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 many years ago that Israel would be provoked to jealousy. How? By the invitation of of you and I, of of Gentiles, to share in gospel riches. That's how Israel would be provoked to jealousy. Their God and their prophets and their, their, their worship would be expanded to include all of the nations of the world and thus provoking them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. It says, I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. That's the Gentiles. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. 
But to Israel he says all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It's amazing to me how frequently the apostles and even the Lord Jesus rely on the words of the prophets to tell you what God has said. To tell you God's will. It's, it's truly remarkable that there are not new things to say about the Lord. Simply saying what has been said before and bringing it into our day in the same anticipation of both judgment and salvation. We call the, the Bible the infallible Word of God, the infallible Scripture, the, the perfect Word of God, and it makes the case that God's wrath comes to all men. And that's the introduction of this, of this study. That's the introduction of this letter written to the church in Rome. God's wrath comes for the unrighteous and nobody is righteous. And if you and your heart follow the unfolding of the reasoning from the earliest days of this letter, it's actually a very hopeless scenario at the beginning of the letter to the Romans. Because it, it goes on to conclude that both Jews and Gentiles all are sinners who have fallen short, who fall short. I know I've mentioned to you in the past um, this, this, this word fallen short is, is kind of a contemporary definition of what it means to sin. Fall short. Kind of like, well, I, I did my best. I just, I just couldn't make it. And if we're honest with ourselves and if we understand ourselves very well, most of the time we don't even try for God's perfection. Most of the time we aim for something else. Because we think it's too perfect. We think it's too hard. And so the introduction of the gospel concludes that all men have fallen short of the glory of God. All men are sinners. I was thinking a little bit about the Lord Jesus preaching and the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord Jesus preached about both anger and, uh, and marriage and divorce, among other things, in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said about a man who has anger in his heart toward his brother? Unrighteous anger in a man's heart toward his brother. The Lord counts the same as what? Do you remember? Murder. And the Lord Jesus also equates a man's lust for a woman or a woman's lust for a man. This is equated with adultery. And, and both of these were really, really easy for the Jew to follow in terms of how bad this was because these are in the Ten Commandments. These are all prohibited by the very basic and, and fundamental laws of God. And so imagine what it would have been like for a sober and thoughtful Jew to be going home that evening. After they had listened to the Lord Jesus preaching that, it would have been perfectly normal for most of those men to be wondering who can be saved. Even these women who would be walking home that night with their families. Who can be saved? 
If, if this man's preaching is a, a legitimate representation of what's right and wrong and, and of what God accepts and does not accept, who can be saved? This was the right question to come out of the Lord's preaching and the Sermon on the Mount. And so, as I was saying, the gospel, as it becomes more and more clear to you and I and, and to everybody who will ever contemplate the gospel, it seems in our early understanding of it, that it is very hopeless. Because in a sense, you, you might think it's not very nice to us. The Lord Jesus is not nice to you. And in some ways, it's very true. The Lord Jesus doesn't really care about your feelings. He doesn't struggle with many of our struggles in this day where we're horrible people pleasers. We hate to offend people in our day and age. The Lord Jesus didn't worry about offending somebody when he was preaching the truth of the gospel. Why? Because he loved those to whom he preaches. He loves them. He loves for men to know what's true so they would turn from error. They would hear what's true and they would seek the righteousness of God and, and, and be done with seeking their own righteousness. And this is what the gospel asks you to do. It's what the gospel commands you to do. Seek God's righteousness and not your own righteousness. Men must come to ponder what we heard in Romans chapter 10 when Romans chapter 10 tells us what faith says. Man's righteousness will never really be labeled or named or recognized as righteousness by the Lord. God's righteousness is in Christ. The law doesn't make men righteous. Christ makes men righteous. And this is what faith says. And you and I and the people we would share the gospel with should come to long for and desire God's righteousness because of the of the dark sad news that precedes the good news our awareness of of our own sinfulness should cause us to long for and truly desire the kindness and the graciousness of God in his offer of the gospel we begin to feel the weight of of guilt on ourselves we begin to recognize the the darkness that hides even in some of the light generous corners of our own hearts unfortunately as as you and I maybe initially when we hear the gospel the first 50 times or we hear the gospel the first 100 times the the charge of our guilt is offensive enough or challenging enough where we we won't even finish listening to the rest of the Lord Jesus speak about the gospel. As a matter of fact, if you were to read the gospel of John this evening, you would find that that while the Lord was preaching, in numerous instances, people will leave before He's done. Why? Because they think what He's preaching is hard to hear. It's hard to receive. It's hard to believe. And honestly, mankind at large doesn't like Christ's preaching of righteousness. It's offensive. And it's hard. When we get to the section there in 
10 where we really begin to get a sense of hope and understanding in the gospel. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who are listening to the Lord at that point, you and I who are listening to God's Spirit at that point have been grappling with this charge of our guilt and sin. We've been grappling with the reality of hell. Is, is hell an eternal thing? Is it really for what you and I probably think about in our minds is the most simple sins? Is, is hell for white lies? Is, is hell for momentary lusts? Or little covetousnesses as in upgrade your phone or upgrade your front room from this to that or covetousness or material longings and, and desires are sometimes sinful dissatisfaction with what God has given us. Are we really prepared to bring these things and, and confess these things to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinful person. I am discontent, Lord. I have worshipped other things, Lord. I, I do put my hope in things other than you, Lord. I, I don't trust you when my days get dark, Lord. I trust in other things. That's called idolatry when we do that. When our passage here today says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, it gives us an interesting insight to understand that there really is one way to salvation. And this is a, a big subject we're going to hit here this morning. There is one way to salvation. One way and only one way. And then it asks a question. And the question in some ways helps to prove the point. The question is, who's going to send the preacher? The question is, how are they going to hear? There's one way to be saved. How are they going to hear? Who's going to send? All of this is proof. Scriptural proof that there is one way to life. There's one way to hope. There's one way to salvation. So, faith, if you go to Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, you know what faith is. It's, it's evidence and it's substance, right? Faith is, is directing you to a objective group of claims. Faith is including a group of threats. Threats against the sinfulness of man. Promises for, for forgiveness and eternal life. Faith is built on these claims we find in all of the scriptures. But your faith is made of you taking hold of a very objective set of words. What I mean when I say objective is, is you can put your eyes on them. They're specific. They are particular. Faith and saving faith is made of the claims in the preaching of Christ and the apostles. It's very objective. It's very plain and clear. And so the question that gets asked to us is, how will they call to whom will they call? How will they believe? 
That's the main question in the in the text we're we're looking at. If the Hebrew people listening to the preaching here did not have to believe and call, as has been introduced to us in the chapter, if they could be saved some other way, we wouldn't even be reading this text of Scripture. We wouldn't even been considering this particular and specific gospel offer. If it doesn't matter what you believe, if the nuances are not important, then the particulars and the objective points that Paul preaches would never need to be mentioned. So, it's obvious that in the need to have a preacher, in the need to have the gospel explained and detailed to us, there is truly only one way of salvation. We wouldn't even have the question. There's a question there in verse 14. Do you see it? It says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Do you, do you see that if it wasn't necessary to believe in Christ and Christ alone, to believe in the righteousness of Christ, a substitute for your unrighteousness. If this is not necessary, why would we even ask that question there in verse 14? The question wouldn't be asked. It wouldn't be on the table. But the scripture puts forth this necessary question. How will they call? How will they call? Because if they don't call on him, they will perish. How will they believe? Because if they don't believe, they will perish. And it is not God's will that any would perish. The scripture said it is not his will that any would perish. And so he teaches us about the sending of the preacher. He teaches us about the necessity of the preacher who is going to deliver this message so that they might hear and believe and call on the name of the Lord. One of the very interesting things here is that the, the Jews who would be listening to this message in Rome and the Jews that are so often mentioned up to this point in the letter by and large, they're pretty good people like the pretty good people that you know. They're, they may be better than the pretty good people that you know. They, they avoided the external evidences of their moral corruptions. It, it wouldn't necessarily be e easy to look at your Jewish neighbor and, and, and recognize why it would be that God would condemn them in their sins. So your average good Jew would need to reject his understanding of his own righteousness and receive the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. The gospel is a hard message, a very hard, perplexing and frustrating message because most think, I'm pretty good already. I've done a pretty good job already and then again the objective the, the the narrow road salvation offered in the gospel 
reflected in Ephesians 4. There's a passage in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, that you'll remember when I read it to you. I think you'll remember if you don't. Listen to what he says there. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, and so there's a unique hope in the gospel. You were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's very, very interesting in telling to me that even baptism comes into this list of the unique things in the gospel. The Catholic Church offers a baptism that is not the same as the Protestant Church, that is not the same as the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses. What is it that's unique about this one baptism that is unique to the gospel and unique to the saving faith offered to men by Christ? It's so crucial for you one by one to wrestle with these kinds of questions because the scriptures is plain that they are crucial. If you don't get it the first time you read it, you don't close up your Bible and, and wait till the subject comes up next year in church. You actually begin to dig in. You begin to wrestle with the words of Scripture. You go to your pastor. You say, help me to understand this. I do not know how to receive the unique, narrow way to salvation that the Lord Jesus preaches about. I don't get it. You need to get it because your faith is what is bringing you before the Lord at the end of the age. Your faith or your lack thereof is what you bring at the end of your days. And so each of us is in the process of forming our faith by what the Scripture is showing to us. Being lost is not God being mean to anybody. Everybody is born lost. If you look at John 3, 17 to 18, we look at this from time to time, but John 3, 17 says, God didn't send His Son to the world to condemn the world. Some people think that, that the gospel message, the Christian message, is a message of meanness and condemnation, but God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Listen to what the Scripture says. But that the world through Him might be Saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, what does your Bible say? He who does not believe is condemned already. Not believing in the gospel is the true path to condemnation. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here at Romans 10.12, it says something really interesting where we read about God's generosity in Romans 10.12. It said, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. The richness of God, the, the generosity of God is actually narrow if we read that sentence carefully. It's rich to who? The richness of God is rich to what? It's rich. He's rich to all who call upon him. The necessity of the gospel to be preached, the necessity of you and I to hear and deal with the, the, the particular terms of the gospel helps us understand that each man and woman and child must 
hear the gospel claims and be given the opportunity to take a hold of God's richness. He's rich to all who call upon him. His richness is particularly for those who hear this gospel condemning you and I in our sinfulness and reaching out to him and his righteousness in faith. What do men do in response to the preacher who preaches sin and righteousness? What do men do when they hear? What are your, what are your siblings? What are your children? What do your parents think of this gospel offer of the righteousness of Christ in exchange for their sinfulness by faith in Christ. Men and women must believe that Christ is the only source of righteousness. Romans 10.9 said, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel offer must be preached in its particulars about the death of Christ that is a substitute for sinful men. The resurrection of Christ is the, is the evidence of His righteousness and being accepted by God. The scripture reveals these things over and over again. The unique gospel, the uniqueness of Christ's death, the uniqueness of our faith and hope in Christ. Acts 4.12 is a, is a great example of the uniqueness of the offer of the gospel. Acts 4.12 is some of the closing words of one of these great big sermons in the in the early days of the New Testament church at the close of his sermon he says nor is there salvation in any other not any other savior not any other gospel not any other piety not any other goodness there is not salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel offer of eternal life is only for you who would put your faith and hope in Christ. Who would count His righteousness as your righteousness and not your own. Who would give your life to hearing Him and learning from Him and learning to walk with Him. This is... Your righteousness. Christ is your hope of righteousness. Matthew 24, 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world. And so at the very end of the Lord Jesus' ministry, He makes a statement. He says, The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. What is it that stands between you and I in the very end of the age? This witness of Christ and His death for sinners and His resurrection. It is His witness to the sinfulness of men. It is His witness to the judgment of the world that comes on all men and women. The Lord Jesus says, this gospel will be preached, not another gospel. 
Not another kind of holiness. Not another kind of goodness or religion or merit. This gospel and this gospel alone will be preached. As a witness to all the nations of the world. There's no exceptions. And then the end will come. So the preacher must go. And the preacher must preach this gospel as this witness. And the lost must hear the preacher. Your lost loved ones must hear the preached word in order that they might know the way to faith in Christ and salvation and eternal life. There's something about this gospel a tiny bit veiled in English that I was going to share with you just for a moment or two here. In other words, when you read this in English, it's not super, super clear, but it's a little bit more clear in the um, original language. Believing in the Lord Jesus and calling on the Lord Jesus that it mentions here begins and sustains until the believer goes home to be with the Lord. In other words, believing isn't something that that started and stopped at a fixed moment in time. It's not a get it done and over kind of affair. The gospel is something that comes to the mind and the heart of a person contemplating its claims. And when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they, in a sense, step into the river. They, they, they get into the, the flow of where the gospel is now and where it's going. It takes you from where you are now and brings you to the end of your days. Or in other words, to put it real simply, if you're any good in English and I'm not particularly good in English but it's not in the past tense it's not in the future tense it's in the present tense if you believe in the present tense so when is the present tense now the present tense is now when do you believe now when do you call now This is very clear in the Greek and it's a little bit less clear in the English. And so the call for a person to believe isn't to altar call, go home and call it good, glad I got that covered. Salvation is this realization of my need for a Savior, of my condemnation in my sin. My my sin that repeats My sin that comes again and again. I call on the name of the Lord. I believe that the Lord Jesus is my righteousness. That the death of the Lord Jesus is my substitute. I believe in this substitute whose blood is the atonement for my sin. I call out to Him. I confess His name. I confess His righteousness as my actual, my real hope. So believing is a thing that is constantly taking place in time. The Jews, when they heard that Moses was going to take them out of Egypt, would you say they believed it if they stayed in their house the night of the Passover and put no blood over the door of their house? Would you say they believed? No, you would not. And you'd be right. They were expected to participate in this 
feast of the Passover lamb and put blood over their door. And if they didn't, God would see that they did not believe. And their firstborn would have died on that night. Now when they left, they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. What is the difference between a a believing Jew and an unbelieving Jew on that day? And in their fear, running for their lives from the Egyptian military, their belief is following Moses as Moses assures them and comforts them that God is with them and God is going to go through the sea with them. He's going to bring them through on the other side. You begin believing and you walk with this Lord. And we go with our Lord until the end of the age that was just mentioned in Matthew 24. First Peter 1.23 gives us a little bit different picture of the same thing. First Peter 1.23 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Now the word corruption there kind of means like rust or decaying or rotting or breaking down. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And his point is, as Peter is speaking about this here, he says, your flesh, your, 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 your person, the, the material part of you is like grass and is like a flower. So that's what he's saying in the next line. All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, its flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So where the soul of man, where you grapple with the word of God, where the soul believes confesses our sin, calls out to God, confesses our faith in Christ where the soul is confident that this is our righteousness. This is our hope. Christ is my faith. The Word of God is an eternal Word of God. The flesh will die. The flesh is temporal. The Word of God that you hear and that you believe and that you stand in and that you walk in and that you confess. This is our faith. This is the word by which the gospel was preached to you is what Peter says. And so the preacher's work is to preach this word that gives life and points you, points me to Christ and the eternal life that is offered to us in Christ. The passage here that says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring or who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, is simply pointing to the reality that this message comes from outside of you, it comes from God. It's, it's coming from the preacher who has been sent to preach and the feet of those who leave their home, leave their town, leave their pursuit of their careers. This 
is the feet of beautiful and good news. I thought of only one example when I was thinking about this in in terms of a story that I think some of us have heard over the years. In uh, in 1925, in Nome, Alaska, there was a a breakout of diphtheria. Do all of you guys know that story of this? Uh, it's kind of like a plague that that had hit Nome, Alaska, and it was in the height of river uh, height of winter. It was a very very bad storm in Alaska and on this region, and yet this town had a matter of days before everybody in this town would die of diphtheria. So there's some gospel parallels for you and I to think about here in terms of a dying people who need something very, very desperately and what some men were willing to do to get it to them. So the story is this. There were, let me see what my notes say, um, 20 different men traveled a stretch of this distance from where the medicine was, and I forget if it was in Anchorage or where it was. The medicine was in abundance at a certain location. And the medicine had to travel almost 700 miles as quickly as possible. And so these 20 men took turns with their sled teams going as far as they could go before they were exhausted or before they were too cold and somebody else would take it the next uh, the next leg of the run. And there's some famous men and some famous dogs that have come out of that story. But what I wanted you to just think about for a moment is the kind of guys who would take those risks they're just not every guy, nor, nor does every guy even have the opportunity to do that. Some people will do that. Some people will take those risks. Some people will suffer those discomforts and those hardships to do what needed to be done. And those guys were able to do it in five and a half days. They, they made the journey and they brought the medicine to this town. And, and from what I understand, it was just greatly successful The the town was able to uh, survive and recover from what would otherwise have just taken the lives of many, many people in that town. Men and women who hear the gospel are being saved from something. We're being saved from sin, and we've learned that the gospel teaches you and I that the wage of sin is death. It's, it, it's, it's unavoidable. It's inescapable. It's, it's like a, a math equation. If you find sin, then you will most certainly find death at the end of the age. The gospel is an offer for men and women to escape death that is eminent to escape the wrath of God and the preacher will preach and he must preach because there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved 
The preacher will preach because he knows that each person who is listening to the gospel message is struggling on their inside. Every man struggles with some of the loves of his own sins. Because they know that as we approach more and more closely to Christ, the the need for us to forsake our sin and to take a hold of Christ is more and more near upon us. And sometimes men fear some of the shames that come as they think about forsaking their sin or as they think about facing somebody who won't accept them anymore because that they have confessed Christ. I want to encourage you that leaving these things, leaving these perceived losses, grabbing a hold of Christ no matter where He takes you is our only hope. And it's not a sad hope, it's a great hope. It's the ultimate hope. It is the true hope of eternal life in the King's kingdom. The reason it matters for unbelievers, I believe, is obvious. And I also think it's obvious for the needfulness for believers to hear preaching of the gospel as well. You see, your faith is a very dynamic thing. What you believe and what you fear and what you hope in might change from day to day. If you've been confident that you've got enough money to get you through hard times or your health is good enough or you have no fears, in 24 hours that can change drastically. Your money can be gone. Your health can be gone. And what do you need when when these things get pulled out from under you? And remember the conversation between Job and Job's wife. Job's wife was so dismayed when Job had lost everything She told Job to curse God and die. She couldn't bear the loss of what her family had just lost. And Job said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Job was the suffering one and yet he was the one preaching truth to his wife. Preaching that his wife might recognize the foolishness of what she had been thinking and what she had been saying. You possess some portion of the truth of God's words in your mind and in your heart. Even what we've just shared today, there there are portions of this that are in your mind that you're coming slowly but surely to understand more and more. And you know how that comes? It comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Each one of you wants to be in a place where faith is going from here to more full and strong. More Christ-centered. More endurance. More joy more perseverance, more clarity in your own mind and your own ability to to pour it back out to your kids or your spouse or your grandkids. Faith is dynamic. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
Christians need a preacher as much as an unbeliever needs a preacher. Do you understand that? Do you get that? It's so crucial for you and I to know that. Otherwise, what, what little is in our hearts will, in a very short period of time, wither away and die like the grass. Don't let that happen in your heart and in your soul. Don't let that happen. Be in a place where the Word of God is preached. Be in a place where you're going to be encouraged to pick up your Bible, not in monotony and not in drudgery, but to pick up your Bible in hope. Asking God to build and strengthen our faith and prepare us for what the day holds, prepare us for what the year holds. Ask the Lord to strengthen. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, ask Him to give you the the boldness and the confidence to believe in Him and Him alone and to confess Him and Him alone. Begin your walk with Christ. I'm just going to close in prayer with you and then once again if any of you would like to speak with me during the week I'm available Um, you can call anytime I might not necessarily pick up the phone in that instance but I'll get back to you if I can't uh, take it when your call comes have a great afternoon and uh, I'll see you next Sunday morning let's pray our Father in heaven I thank you Lord for your word that, that magnifies the importance of us hearing your word hearing the word preached. Lord, I thank you that you have made clear to us that there is a way to hope and eternal life in Christ. Oh Lord, strengthen the congregation. Give the weak strength, Lord. Give the fearful boldness. Give the downcast joy. Lord, I I commit them and our way to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.